Now, is that for a squabble, Pew? Splinky plinky. Whatever. Ganja. What's your poison? Uh, Glenn Limbert. Ah. It's for my birthday. Yes, Justine got me a bottle of Glenn Limbert 12. And she said, Can I have a sip? And I said, Sure. And she. I said, but it'll put hair on your chest. And she said, okay. And then she had a sip. <laughs> I like it's got the five second uh, delay. Anytime someone drinks it for the first time, the hmm. <laughs> <And> then, the <laughs> then the shiver comes in, but it's very nice. I like it. Very nice. Yeah. It, it's a good um that's a good whiskey. Any of those glens are generally good whiskeys to introduce people to. Yeah. If they, if they want to know. Or introduced to single malt scotch. I mean, well, we might as well start the interview right away. And what you you are, I don't know, the person I turn to if I want questions on scotch, which is very rarely. But you have a uh, have quite the understanding of of I guess scotch, or is it just what you like, or is it something you like pursue or actually research? Um, no, I don't. I just sort of, it's just what I like. Um, there's certain ones that I can remember and there's certain ones I can't. I've sort of tried to do a, re, a, a bit of research on it. I tend to find that, look, it's all a bit of a wank. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but the, trying to find flavors and different things in, in scotch and whiskey, um, I don't mind doing. It's the when I see you know the classes and they're and they're sitting there sniffing their car, their glass. I just go, yeah, look, that's a bit of a wank. That's a bit of a wank. <laughs> I rem- I do remember being at a party. This is a while ago now, uh, with my good friend uh, Nick G, and we were sitting there. And I think, well, I don't know what we were drinking. Some you know just general scotch. And a guy came up and he's like, oh, you're drinking scotch, are you? I'm like, yeah. And he said, you should come to the Canberra Whiskey Club. And we said. No, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what we're into. And he's like, no, no, you'll like it. It's not what you think. You know, it's just, you know, mainly guys and we stand around and we talk about whiskey and and we're like, well, yeah, that's that's what we think it is. I don't know yeah. what you thought we thought it was. And he was like, no, yeah. it's more relaxed. And we're like, that doesn't sound like something we want to do. Well, I have, I have, I've had a couple of whiskey nights and I've got one uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Where they're, they're mates that like good scotch, and you talk about it a little bit, but ultimately, yeah. when when you put your nose over the scotch, it's you know, am I going to like this? Uh, you know, it, it's not. We don't really go into the oh, I get a bit of you know yeah. heather there. I'm getting oh, what? What's the black book sign? I'm getting smoke. I'm getting uh, bitumen. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm getting a Viking Heath and yes. a Victorian sewer. I think that's what Julia said once. Oh yes. Smells so, like a Viking Heath and tastes like a Victorian sewer. I think that's what she said. So you like a good peaty scotch, is that right? Or I, yeah, I, I do. Um every so often. Smoky. So you should always have a well, yeah, there's peaty and there's and there's smoky. So you um, but um you've got to have that at the end of the night and yeah. Because you need something, you need that to cut through. Because if you've had, you've been on a whiskey night, you've had Ooh. copious amounts of scotch, 
Yeah. You need something to remind you that you've had too much to drink. Like it's like, whoa, okay, now I've got my taste buds back. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And, and the worst the worst thing is if you have more than one or two peated ones and you do the washing up the next morning. I was gonna say. I was gonna say you have a you have a whiskey night and then the next morning whoever's picking up the old glasses, if there's only a little bit left. Yes, I try to do that the night before because even if you can rinse them out like buggery and they'll still smell of peat yeah. until you soak them for a fucking fortnight. So <laughs> uh, I do yes. have a peated, I do have a peated scotch here. It's a um, Ardbeg five-year-old. Yeah. Ardbeg. Um, Ardbeg, yeah. So it's from the island of Isla. So it's a very peaty one, but it's only five years old. It doesn't have the strength of the older ones. They smell like the, are they the ones that smell like the underground? The London Underground. Uh, yeah, there's a there's one like um, I think a Lafroig smells like that's in, the one. industrial steam engine. Yes, that's the... exactly <laughs> right. Yes, I remember the first time you're like, here, try this, and I was like, smell it, and I was like, all right, and I was like, whoa, jeez, yes. Winyard, Winyard Station, <laughs> Winyard Station, and all your beard hairs fell off. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So you you had uh, your fortieth, which I mean ridiculously was quite a few years ago now doesn't yes. seem like that long ago so you yeah. for your 40th we went to a whiskey festival is that what it was, it was just a it was just a whiskey tasting right yeah in sydney yeah. in sydney yeah and um i wasn't <sighs> still recovering uh, yeah. I, I hope I, you heard i hope they i hope the listeners pick up on that they, they certainly did that's the that should be the Come to the the whiskey fest, the whiskey tasting night. <sighs> so I remember because it was, you know, I, I traveled up from Canberra and I remember, I don't know, it was, it, it wasn't, at the time I didn't think it was cheap. I don't know what it cost, like $70 or $70, something like that. Yeah, $70, yeah. And at the time you were like, $70, that's a lot of money. I'm going to drink whiskey. And then within the first, within the first fifteen minutes, when you've had, I don't know, three half shots, four half shots, five half shots of whiskey, you're like, oh, this goes for three hours. I I could easily drink seventy dollars worth in twenty minutes and yeah, lay down well, somewhere. Well, what they what, what they did was it was seventy dollars and you got ten tokens. So it was meant to be you oh. handed a token over and you got. And you got a scotch, but it was their way of getting of, of of getting you in of, the door. Yeah, but also the um the responsible service of alcohol. Oh, gotcha. Because once we got in, yeah, no, there was, there was no, no tickets. There was there was no tokens or tickets. It was seventy dollars, and yeah. you had forty whiskies. Yeah, because I remember the very the first, first table we went to. Again, it was one of those things like a like a in when I lived in when we were in Japan, they used to have like a nomi hoido, which was just basically all you can drink. And you would pay for that. It was the same thing. You'd pay for that for two hours. But at the start of the two hours, you're like, well, we better get our money's worth. So we'll just order. How many of us are there? Six. All right. Can we get uh, 18 bottles of beer, please? And then they would bring you the, the beer and you would drink it basically in shot form, like in sort of a double shot form. You would, And so you would get through them. But by the end of the two hours, there'd be lots of beer not drunk. At the start, mm -hmm. you're like, we've got, we better order because we will get our money's worth. And then you realize, like, oh, right, you could, 
easily drink your money's worth pretty quickly. Yes, yes. So I remember this because it was it was four. It might have been four hours. And I think we got to, <laughs> you know, within the first hour, you and Flamo were sitting outside. Yeah, uh, we'll wait. Arrest. Yes, waiting for a bus, I believe. <laughs> we referred to as. Uh, and the last, I remember getting, it might have been to eight o'clock. Yeah. And just thinking, I cannot taste anything. And there's an hour to go. <laughs> oh, yes, that was, um, it was quite, it was great. But like, like, like I just remember going to that first table yeah. with your tokens and the guy was like, don't worry. And he was like, here you go have a try of that and i was like yeah it's all right and he was like well if you don't like that try this one and then all yes, of a sudden you're like yeah. i've just had three half shots of whiskey and yes, uh yeah. i haven't uh, there's no tokens and it's 507 and, yeah and you're uh, having and they're worth any and they're worth anything up to about 180 dollars. there were some tables where you could have half nips for nothing but anything over 180 you had to you had to pay yeah so right. yeah it was ridiculous i do remember you and Flamo had a taste. We were sort of standing around and you came over and you went, oh, Juice, you've got to try this. And I said, did you hand a token in? No. Nah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> try this one and that one. Let's go. And this yeah. one. And then this one twice and that one four times. And, you know, there was one that Talisker, they served, they gave you dark chocolate as well. Yeah. That was the only food. Like, that made us feel better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the only food. Uh, we There was one that they served with uh, apple juice. I remember that was like, that this is good it's not all alcohol yes that was the cocktail the cocktail of the weekend i think it was done with glamorangi and apple juice and yep. something else and we both had we all had one in each hand yes yeah because it yeah. just felt like this was better for me than lots of scotch but yes lots there were many times where i found myself sitting on a bench just just taking a breather just taking a breather. Well, just think if it wasn't for that apple juice, I would have thrown up in the garden outside rather than a McDonald's. <laughs> so, you know, it did help. It did yeah, we had to go and find somewhere somewhere to eat. That's right, because there was oh, no food. Yeah, there was no food. Messy. And then we went back to the hotel and I believe, and uh, I could be wrong, but I just started having breakfast. Yes, yes, you did. He yes. did because the breakfast was sitting there ready for ready for the morning. Yes, ready for the morning. It was only about eleven o'clock at night, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah you just got yourself a bowl of breakfast <laughs> of cereal. Yeah, uh, we're a little disappointed with the with the alcohol service. I wasn't. I, I thought everybody had had enough, and why could you possibly want to drink any more? That's right. Um, but yeah, there was a few drinks consumed, and then breakfast. And yeah. then yeah, you got to have breakfast. I'm just I just remember someone coming over and saying, "No, no, that's that's for breakfast." As if I didn't realize it was for breakfast. <laughs> I know, but I this how naive of me. Is it, oh, excuse, whoops. Me, excuse me, sir, but if we don't eat breakfast now, we're not yes. gonna feel like it in seven hours. Or that was the best thing I did that night. And always the best, like the drunken excuse is always, I didn't know we couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You want me to put pants on? I didn't know I couldn't do oh, it. Oh, there's no there's nothing, no signs up here saying I can't eat breakfast at eleven o'clock at night. Just with, you got to do everything with confidence. That's always the key. It's a snack. It's not defined as breakfast at no. 11 o'clock at night. You had the snack table out. It was yeah, the I'm snack just, buffet. Yeah. I mean, I like my in my uni days, there was a lot of breakfast eaten at post 11 p.m. There's no doubt about <laughs> it. There was a lot of cereal going around. The sweet I would the also think that it's just like, right, I've got bacon and sausages for breakfast in the morning. Why don't I just cook that up now? Yep. Yeah, there was plenty of that. Yeah, yeah, Wiggins is famous. Devon nachos, whatever we had in the fridge. 
<laughs> yeah. So I uh, wanted to. Yes, um, that was a. Yes. Yeah, so we can relive. Oh, the scotch. That was more. A, it was a cracking night, and uh, there'll be there'll be more to come. I'm sure. Ugh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was maybe my first and last scotch evening. Seventy dollars well, well spent. If I give you a quick a quick bit of advice, if you ever have a have a have a whiskey night, what happens is you get everybody to bring a plate of food, right. and then we had I think we had ten bottles of scotch, and the rule is whatever's left in your bottle at the end of the night, take home, because if you get through ten bottles of scotch. You're all dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. but so what happens is, is the host, i.e. me, uh, pause, pause everyone one and you have a sip and talk and chat. And then I follow up with water and yeah. then you have a second one. And this is all quite jovial. It's over a couple of hours. So mm-hmm. then, then the food comes out after, say, five or six. The food comes out. Everyone feeds their face. Then after that, you go seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven very quickly and if there's water in between it's an accident then that's when you get to say the 11th one then you go back to the start and oh. then it's uh, and then uh, people can pick what they want after that and that's when it starts to get that's when it starts to get a little messy jeez well in in uh, the spirit of things i've just knocked the li- whatever left i have of my scotch onto the floor so just right. excuse me a moment There'll be a brief pause in recording. Well, Will I, you be topping up? Well, I might. There was, there was very little left. Some, somehow I missed, like, spilling it on anything important. So I'll just clean it off the cup and I'll be with you in a moment. Now, <laughs> it may say... I just, kept, uh, I just kept talking to myself, so oh, you can good. do what you like. I'll listen back, tell a story. Uh, it may say something about my drinking past, but... Uh, as soon as that happened, I was like, I know what to do. Bit of salt, bit of <laughs> bit of bicarb soda. I'll leave that for a couple of hours. Be right as rain. I think that's a that's a hereditary thing, the ability to spill the unspillable. <laughs> yeah. Well, in all fairness, I put I put it in the wrong spot. It's my drink's usually here. Ugh, it's all a mess. Usually there. There we go. You have your feng shui all ass about. I know. And then I have to reach for a pencil. What else was going to happen? But luckily, and somehow, I didn't tip it onto the bed, which is next to this desk. That could have been much worse. It's been a while since I've slept in scotch smelling sheets. (laughs) Well, I was going to go far dirtier than that, but we'll leave it as that. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. So, sir. What's prompting uh, the conversation tonight, Matthew? Well, this is what's been happening is I've, I've they finally reopened the, the pool next to where I work, which is nice. So at least twice a week I've been going in and swimming a K. Um, awesome. If I can on my lunch break, that's always nice. You know, teachers, if we get a lunch break, but like I get a lunch break. Like I can take it. So rather than sit mm-hmm. at my desk and do work, I just thought, well, I could go for a swim. It takes about half an hour. And uh, yeah, it's good. But anyway, during the swim, the old black line fever, mm-hmm. the, the second half of the swim is usually where I get ideas. And I thought, I want to talk to Juice about sport. I normally um, get a cramp, but you know, ideas, that works. Yeah. No, no, no. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Once you do like 20 laps once, 
then your body's like, oh yeah, this thing. And and I don't know, like it was probably geez, years and years ago when, when one of the first uh, summers that we were living in Canberra, I we lived near Dixon Pool and I was swimming. Uh, I started swimming there and, and doing the same thing, like trying to swim a K. And when I was there, there was a guy and he was like, oh, there's a thing where you can try and swim 50 Ks in the summer. So there's a, like a sheet where you write down every time you come in so you can just tally how much you've done. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, I'll just like, you know, I guess it's the equivalent of like the golf pro at like the, um, he was the tie web of the pool. There you go. <laughs> There's a reference. Um, and he was just like, oh, I'll, um, I'll watch you swim for, you know, a lap and then I'll tell you what to do. And I was like, okay. So he sort of gave me a, like the most basic stroke, mm. like do this, do that. So then you can just swim. It's like the, the stereotype of riding a bike. So now as soon as I get in the water, it's the same stroke and it's easy and you can just do it. Um, right. So, yes, the idea I had was to talk to you about sport and, like, more importantly, like what sport teaches you um, because that's all we did growing up was, you know, it's, a, it's a, a generalization, but quite a lot of our youth was in the backyard playing sport, whether it was league or cricket, those two mainly, at, uh, as much as we could, putting, yeah. you know, rubbing rubbing dad's grass to dirt all and then moving moving around the place. yeah not, not a euphemism it's a filthy euphemism <laughs> oh dear there's a lot of euphemisms maybe that can be the title of the episode we'll get banned rubbing your dirt rubbing, into the ground. rubbing dad's grass rubbing dad's dirt into the ground anyway um yeah and i just wanted to know like what what do you think like obsession with sport i guess that we had and all the all the cricket we played all the touch football all of that stuff what does it like teach you in terms of like values or what did it teach you in terms of i guess uh, resilience or anything like that yeah i've been having a bit of a think about it because i think there's a number of different things that you can do in life that have that give you the same principles and the same philosophies and you can say sport teaches you this but if you don't stick at it then you don't learn anything from it you go and find something else and there's a number of different things that can teach you resilience or um you know leadership and being able to work in a team and all those and all those sort of cliches but yeah. i think the one key thing and I've, and I've only really been thinking about this super recently was um, just the, just the connection. It, it, it creates connection. So dad had an interest in sport. And so if we wanted to do something with him, he's like, right, let's go out the back and play sport and let's play football and let's play cricket. So it's a, it was a connection thing for him because it's something he understood and a connection thing for us so we could do it with him. So even Jace, who didn't really have an interest in sport, sport was his connection to dad and sport was his connection to us. Yeah. And sport is still a connection, say, to Jace and, and dad now, uh, amongst other things. Yes. So it, it's really for us, it was creating that connection. And then when we went into sport outside the backyard, it was connection. It was community connection. 
it just so happened that sport happened to be our our connection um, to the community, mm. um, and with that, it helped help breed resilience. There's a number of different steps in in resilience, and particularly in children, if you can tick sort of three or four of the seven steps of resilience, then your children are on the way to you know surviving. I guess you could say, and one of them is community. Um, so whether it's sport or whether it's um, you know, playing the violin or, you know, dancing or gymnastics, even swimming, even though it's a lone sport, you you have a community connection with the coach and your squads and even the kids that you're just swimming with because you're learning to swim. Yeah. Um, I sort of, the reason I've, I've thought about it recently um, was that Kyron played in a grand final a little while ago. And I think as I get older, sport as a, as a general rule is, is overplayed and, um, just where we as Australians put it on a pedestal, I think it's the media puts it on a far higher pedestal than than it should be. But he played in a grand final, and the morning of the grand final, he played at eight a.m. Mm. A mate of mine was going to his son's grand final further away. He called in to wish us luck, give, gave us a hug, wished Kyron luck. Then cousin Nathan was there. Because yeah. his son George wanted to watch Berkeley Vale, but he wanted to watch Kyron play first. Right. Um, Julia's soccer husband Andrew yeah. won his grand final the day before and got home at three o'clock, but was yes. there at eight a.m. to watch to watch the soccer grand final. Yeah. So, sort of that morning, I sort of went, you know, it's great for Kyron to win, but this is what sports all about, and I think as a society we forget that it's about that community connection until you get a grand final day. Yeah. Um, and it really opened my eyes, um, particularly when they talk about non-competitive sport and all that sort of stuff. I think there's a balance there somewhere, but grand finals are an opportunity where communities really do come together to celebrate the game, to celebrate each other. Yeah. Um, and I sort of went, I was taking photos of Kyron's game. It's like, I want him to win, but geez, it's been a great, you know, a great morning seeing all these seeing all these people grandparents and except except pop of course uh, grandparents and just people that don't so, normally turn up to games so was he not there or was he in his no. usual so he, he, he just he can't he take there. it it was eight o'clock in the morning yeah. uh he'd been to the semi-final we took him up i said we're driving you up yeah and they went to penalty shootout so that was i think that was it for him <laughs> he had to so, sit in Nana. yeah <laughs> our dad is the I don't know. I don't know how we describe him. The worst spectator, the most nervous. Well, he used to have in his in his cricket presidency days, he had worry beads. The the club actually gave him worry beads. Yeah. While he walked around the oval, he had yeah. the worry beads. So, yeah. He'll he'll have a million different worst case scenarios. None of the good ones, or generally always all of the bad ones. But it was eight yeah. o'clock in the morning. He went, I'm not going up. Just send me text messages. Oh, God. Yeah, see, the joke is always any time out where our teams are in close games or something, he will be hiding under the bed. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Well, not watching the Swans or the Dragons or the Mariners or whatever. So, um, but I really, that really hit home to me. And I don't think I really understood that through my playing days. I think I just played because I love to be around people the guys i played with even the kids you didn't like or the blokes you didn't like to play with yeah the the game sort of and the and the connection rose above that 
so that you still turned up to training, you still turned up to the game every Saturday. Yeah. Um, you know, and the connections I still have to this day, as much as it irritates my son from time to time, because I know <laughs> I know everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. A bit like my mum, a bit like mum. Um, but um, it just it created it just created that that connection, that community bond where you find down the track you you need each other more than ever. You need your sport as an escape. Yeah. Um, as a coping mechanism. And I think us as a family use sport as a coping mechanism and um, to give us that community connection, I suppose. Mm. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah. So that's yeah. all for me. Good night. Yeah. Sport was always a thing of like, ugh, just, yeah, when your team loses a grand final, which we had plenty of growing up, it's just happened to support teams that never won anything it was kind of weird that that period between i guess 2010 and 2000 i want to say 14 where st george won in the rugby league and sydney won in the afl and the mariners won in the a league Mm. and the um, waratahs won in the super rugby and it was like oh well what do i do with this now like yeah this is what it's like yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Now there's one, and I would say, and I don't know if you were the same, but certainly in rugby league, I've had less connection to it since St. George won. Like that was the last sort of thing of like, well, they won. Right. All this pent up like frustration or um, fandom I had mm. um, ha- has never, hasn't been as strong since. Yeah. I, I think it, there's a number, I'm, I'm a bit the same, but I think, I watched the game differently because of uh, of their success, mm. um, and you could see. And if you and I've got a couple of friends who really know a lot about rugby league, the intricacies of rugby league, and they started to explain a few a few things to me. And then watching someone like Wayne Bennett coach a team that you supported, yeah, I could see that. And then you could see the wheels fall off when clubs don't have a coach, and you still see it now in twenty twenty two when yeah. coaches don't understand. So I don't, I certainly don't support the game like I used to, but yeah. I watch it differently. But I think it's because of, it's because of that success. I think even if you didn't know that sort of look for those intricacies, I think you, you felt that success. Yeah. But it's almost like we're not going to have it again. So I'm not going to throw myself at these, <laughs> at these teams because no. You know, the chance of it happening again is as scarce as rock and horse shit. Yeah, and it's uh, ultimately you're like, oh, okay. One of the things that that annoyed me after St George won was that no one else cared. All of this like build up for whatever it was, 31 years of not winning. Yeah, and then your team wins, and then a couple of days later, no one cares. Yeah, well, it's like the, it's like the next day. It's like, oh, well done, Matty. Your team won. Right yeah. anyway. You're like, no, no, let's we've been talking about this all season and giving each other shit, and now and they're like, no, yeah. we don't care. Who cares? Yeah, it's as flat as fuck, isn't it? You know, <laughs> really weird. Yeah, but what, I... it, what it sorry. No, you go, you go. I was gonna say, but what what it does is that's that that's that um that's that connection. It, it yeah. brings that conversation together. And so it does fall flat, I think, for everyone once their team's out. Well, I was talking talking to Wigo the other day, and he's his team won the grand final. You know, the Sharks. He's long suffering Sharks supporter, and they won the grand final in two thousand and sixteen. He hasn't even watched the game. It's too stressful. 
<laughs> like you work, you support this team and you're like all these disappointments and you win and you're like, oh no, I can't. It was too stressful in the moment. I can't relive that. And you're like, but, but, but you won. You know, you won watching it yeah. again. He's like, no, nah, it's too stressful. And you're like, yeah, all of this rubbish. Maybe we're just, maybe we're, we're anomalies in that respect because, you know, dad's the same and Auntie Julie and Auntie Narelle, they just, they still can't sort of live it, live in that, in those moments and, um, yeah. and just accept them for what they were. I remember that in that season that they won, I went down to the final, the Dragons played the Tigers. The yeah. Dragons won 11-10, but it was five minutes to go and I was with a couple of mates and I turned to them and said, I don't care what happens in the next five minutes. It's been a great game and both sides have played the best. You yeah. know, I wasn't going to leave going, oh, they should have done this, they should have done that. And the Tigers made a break towards the end and they stuffed it up. But it was like, holy crap, this is what it feels like when you're yeah. just happy with the team's performance. And if they, you know, if they lose, it doesn't matter. That It's been a fantastic season, you know. Wow. I, I felt ill. <laughs> I, I did not feel that sense. Maybe being there is different, but I yeah. remember feeling ill like, oh, God. But yeah, even even the, even the on grand final day, I didn't really enjoy it until it was clearly that we were going to win. Yes, yeah. And it was just I didn't I had no joy. There's no joy. And the weird thing is that when when I reflect on it, it's like you get way more joy out of playing yourself than watching professionals play, which is mm. obvious when you think about it. But a lot of it is like you said, the media gears up like supporting the, your team and your team's made it and all of this stuff, but it's not like you think about like the teams I support winning grand finals and it was great, but it didn't compare to winning cricket grand finals or yeah. winning touch football finals or whatever it was winning soccer, you know, like I was in a team that won three years in a row, like the watching other people, it's no matter what the division or level of sport you're playing, that's better than watching professionals a professional team that has certain colors. Yeah. And it's, and that's, I think, obviously it's, it's marketed in a way that, no, no, the best thing is watching your team win, but it's, it's clearly not. You can play 12th division. It's just more fun. It's when you look at, at the, you know, say for example, the rugby league grand final this year, which yeah. it was, it was uh, Penrith and whoever was going to lose to Penrith. It didn't matter which team made it. Yeah. But it was, the, it was the celebration of the day and getting, you know, 80,000 people at a stadium plus people have grand final barbecues. You know, 10 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes into that game, it was pretty obvious who was going to, you yeah. know, who was going it's to win. The same in the AFL, wasn't it? We were, yes. we, yeah. And that was, that was the thing, the, the, the thing about the Swans losing so horribly was I got to watch that with Ellis and Wiggins and Stu and their wives and, and the memory of the day won't be like, oh, yeah, that was, well, didn't we play horribly? It was like, that was a cool day. We got to all hang out. We hadn't yeah. done that for five years. And it's that, like you said, it's that community, isn't it? Which is bloody. Ugh, and that's, and that's, still. that gets you through, that gets you through the toughest times. And I guess, you know, say living in a small town and, and even in the old days in Australia, there was nothing else to do except go to church and play sport. And so that's what, yeah. That's there's only so many uh cake raffles you can you know participate in, um, yeah. But um, but that's sport is what brought the community together, and and the communities as a whole could endure while sport was being played yeah. through drought, through floods, and famine, and 
all those other things. Um, sport is sport was the only you know the only consistency. And I think as a society, you forget that, particularly living in an environment where there's so much other stuff going on. I think people forget that, you know, that community connection. Yeah. And how powerful that community connection is with sport. Yeah. And the fact that it used to be greater, uh, you know, like the community connection and the, and the, I guess when you look at old footage of like how many people used to go to watch all kinds of levels of sport in the community. And now, like you said, there's more distraction, but anyway, I wanted to ask you about like, how are you as a sporting parent now that Kyron's, you know, 18 and he's, he's playing pretty high level soccer and he's playing cricket. How are you as a, as a sporting parent? Um, I pretty much, pretty much let him go. So obviously there was a time with soccer where his understanding of the game far outweighed mine. Yes. I think, I think maybe when he was eight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I never, I never really played the game. So I sort of figured out very quickly that he's going to make his own decisions, how he plays and what he does. I can um, offer him suggestions on ways to train and, and reasons for training and why training, you know, like um, uh, for example, if he wants to play great as an 18 year old, he can be a good defender, but he's up against and he's, and he's playing with guys who are older than him and who are better than him at those sorts of things. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you need to have a point of difference to separate you from those other guys so that when you're competing with the ball, you get there first. And you only need to get to that ball, you know, a foot earlier than the other guy and you've, and, and you've beaten him. So, you know, um, so then we, I would talk about doing sprint training and i got guys who, um, who are qualified through the Australian Institute of Sport to train in sprint training. So this is what happens when you do sprint training. It creates that point of difference. It, it makes you fit. It means in the 80th minute you're still fresh because you're running, um, you're running biomechanically correct, which is um, you know, keeping your energy systems low. You're running efficiently and fast and, and easy where everyone else is buggered and straining. You're cruising. That's how you become a standout player from the rest. You have that mm. point of difference. So it's about, as a dad, I still want to influence how he yeah. plays. So it's about me going, right, how do I, how do I get, a, you know, get around and get in there yeah. to offer advice and suggestion? Because he's 18. So, yeah, you only have to make it. It's like anything he does in life. You've got to give him a recommendation. Yeah. Look, I recommend you don't do that. But, you know. You know, if you do it, if you do it, you do it. Yeah. Um, cricket, I know a lot more about, but for him, it's hit and giggle. So I don't tend to offer him advice on how he should, you know, when he goes out there, he should just, you know, spend the first dozen balls getting his iron, getting used to the bounce of the wicket, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he just he just does his he just does his own thing. Um, yeah. I'll ask him questions. What you know? What did you think? How did you go? And he'll go. Oh, I hit a four and I hit it pretty well at three bounces over the fence. So I was pretty happy with that. Okay. So you got seven. Are you happy with that? Yeah. I hit a four. Um, right. the bowling, bowling is a right hander. He bowls right arm in swing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether I had some sort of influence in that being a left arm in swing, in swing bowler. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just talking about putting it on that spot and letting the batsman make a mistake. And um, so I just take a backward step. Um, so do you think like you had, I, I know with, with 
certainly like last year when Noel was playing soccer and Violet was playing basketball. Violet's still playing basketball. She loves it. I found I was a better basketball parent than I was a soccer parent because I played, you know, eight years or something yeah. of soccer yeah. um, or football, we should call it. And um, I found it was hard watching Noel play football because I know the game better and I can tell what the, what she should be doing. Whereas basketball, I can't play basketball. I'm terrible at it, but I like yeah. watching it. I love watching it. I'm yeah. into it, but I can't give Violet like, this is how you do a starter step. I know what that is. I got, <laughs> I got, I'm like, I know what all the things are, but I've got yeah. no idea of the mechanics of it or anything like that. So I found I was much calmer and I am much calmer watching Violet play basketball than I was watching Noel play soccer Yeah, because of that. Um, I wondered, yeah. did you have the same thing when they, when Kyron started playing? Yes. Yeah. Look, we, we all have that advice monster that wants to come out yeah, yeah. and provide advice, whether someone asks for it or not, you know, yeah. oh, that I bowled five wides in a row. Oh, that's all you need to do is this and this and hold the seam this way and, and, and yeah. do this. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I found it. I found it hard to offer, to not offer advice, but I've sort of learned with soccer or whatever else to listen yeah. and to not. So even with, with Noel, you listen, you ask her how she went and you listen to her answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, and then you don't offer advice, Yeah. Um, but you might offer advice later. You might go, Hey, Noel, you know how you said this? Well, um, I was thinking, what if you did yeah. this or, do you want to go down the oval and you can practice doing this? You've sort of got to, if you, if, basically, if you stop and listen, you hear how many other people offer advice to how many yeah. other people yeah. and how much advice is wrong and how much advice is given because we feel obliged to give advice because we can fix the problem yeah. straight away. But if you <laughs> shut up, yeah. you listen and you wait, and that's mm. what I do with Kyron and I wait, <clears throat> And then find the appropriate time to talk to him about talk to him about something, and that yeah. that has been the hardest thing to not uh, to not say anything and to watch them fall, to watch them fail, to watch them bowl four beamers in and over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but to just shut up or offer you know compassion and just yeah. but just shut up yeah. and wait and wait to sort of go, hey, you know. Um, you got, you know, you got uh, the umpire told you you can't bowl anymore. Yeah. You know, how, how did you feel about that? Do you want to go down the nets and, and practice Not some bowl things? Beamers like, or yeah. bowl beamers at me? Yeah. Yeah, I might have I might have a few ideas. Well, see, cricket, cricket and soccer is funny. As a cricketer and being able to know how to bowl, yeah. Kyron's defence was naturally good because the ball was always at nearly always at the stumps. Whereas yeah. from his teammates who hardly ever was at the stumps. Yeah. So you could train by just doing that. And they don't even know what you're doing. You just bowl at the, at the bat, at the bat, at the bat, at the bat, at the bat. At yeah. soccer, if he wanted to be a goalkeeper, you didn't train to goalkeeper. He might just go in there and, and you're just going to yourself, right, I'm going to kick it this way and see what happens. I'm going to kick it this way. And then you store those in the memory bank for later for when you go, remember when we're having shots and you did that? That's the that's the type of thing that you you have to do. Um, yeah. Very quickly, kids will shut off if you're giving too much information. Yeah, because they're not looking for an answer necessarily. It's a bit like um, your partner, uh, you know, 
complaining about something. They don't necessarily want you to fix it. They just want you to listen. Yeah. Um, kids are sort of that same. And if you barrage them with too much information, they'll just go, all right, you're not my person. And they just won't, they just won't talk to you about it. Yeah, that's a good way. So that's it. the hardest thing is to shut up and yeah. listen, but, uh, but take it in and have a think about how to formulate your response. Um, I've got, I, a, so, yeah, sorry. I remember the, the, late, the late great uh, horses asked himself, David Fraser, when I was, you know, like I started playing grade cricket at 15, I guess, but I was 15 or 16 and batting in the nets. And he, you know, one of the few times he wasn't being stupid. Uh, and he just said, I've got some advice for you. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, uh, just listen to everyone's advice, but like pay attention to like, like do two of them because you can't do everything. All the advice mm. people will give you, do this shot, start on this foot, start on your back foot, start on your front foot. Move, move, your first movement should be here. Your first movement. And he was like, people just give you advice. Just listen to it all. And then just pick what you're going to do. He said, because that's what's going to happen when you're young and you're at a club is that everyone's going to help. So, but if you listen to everyone, you'll end up behind the stumps, facing the wrong way, or something like that. <laughs> I remember him saying that. And just it's a good, it's a good lesson for life, right? Is that yeah, yes. you just listen to everyone's advice, and then you are free to pick and choose, you know, which advice you're going to take. It's your yes. freedom. Yeah, and you do that with your kids, and if they don't listen to you, then they don't listen to you. You have to suck it up. That's a you problem. It's not yeah. a them problem. Yeah, no, if they don't good... listen, you know, it's a parent problem. If they yeah. don't listen. It's not yeah. their problem that they're not listening. It's you're the problem. Shut the fuck up. If they just did what I said, then they yes. would do better at sport. Like, yeah, yep, but that's true. That is substitute true, the yeah. word sport with yeah. school relationships. Yeah, you know, or uh, uh, anything like that. So it, it's sort of yeah. And I think just, the different real difference was like I don't talk to Violet about basketball. So on the drive to and from basketball, I don't talk. We don't talk about anything to do with basketball. That's. Yes. You know, I've heard a lot of podcast, a lot of parents and podcasts, but in general, like talk about how important the drive to and from sport is. Yes. You've yes. got them yeah. trapped in a car with you. Uh, there's something about them forward facing, not looking at you that allows them. I don't know if you found it. Your son's never been too verbose, um, but whether they, whether they talk more, I know Violet does, she just dumps everything that's you know, ever occurred to her about like what's happening at school or what's happening with this. And, and it's uh, a good way to know, to check in really, because yes, you don't well, get that opportunity all the time. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, if, it's, if, if they want to talk about the game, then you listen. Yeah. You listen about the game. So Julia is the soccer mum, so she knows more than I do. So they would communicate but if if Kyron wasn't responsive <clears throat> she yeah. would feel a bit put out by it but it's like no 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 he just he's processing it um but that trip home can be the yeah can be the worst thing for for your relationship be worth worst thing thing for kids it can stuff them up yeah in so many in so many I, different ways i have a strong memory of uh when i played reps that one year of driving home from newcastle we played a game there and we lost and we probably should have won and um and driving either driving past or a car driving past with the coach and his son in the front seat and the mother in the back seat <laughs> and him just giving it to his son as we either drove past them or drove drove past us and i was like that looks fun what a fun <laughs> time they're having how fun <clears throat> is sport even at that time it was just like ugh. 
Okay. Yeah. Oh. I, I often wonder that the benefits that the benefits you don't get as many benefits out of kids sport as problems as, as a result of um of overbearing parents or yeah. overbearing coaches or or whatever it happens to be yeah um it's just they're just learning they're learning life skills like in any other scenario in life um you've got to be very yeah you've got to be very careful about how you approach how you approach that situation because they figure a lot of it out for themselves yeah. over time they figure out that team working in a team with people that you don't get on with normally they figure out a whole heap of things like that but often it's not until they're older often it's just i was gonna I say love that, playing like, this game i don't care i'm just playing this game what do you what do you think if you look back what do you think like to in terms of playing sport that you wish like that you had have learned i'm sure people told you the these things to do or or to think about because i look back and i just know i took sport way too seriously and that you play better when you're relaxed but i was always like no you've got to be intense and intense is the way yeah i played better when i was relaxed i used to watch looney tune cartoons before before my game of cricket yeah nice but i was probably more worried about my own game you know the old imposter syndrome i often wondered whether i was good enough to be here <laughs> that's but so then, funny know, that's so every, funny every week you get picked and it's yeah. like um you're picked so you know why do you need to worry about yeah you know that, that doubt of being hit for four or hit for six or finishing yeah. with none for and that was that was probably more overwhelming right that self-doubt it wasn't it was there more often than not mm, great semi-finals and grand finals seemed to be a different kettle of fish it was yeah. just like oh well here let's go yeah. Um, but yeah, to not take it, you know, probably just to back myself a little bit more. And I'll give you an example. Um, I got picked in reps. I got picked to trial out for reps. Yeah. When I was 23, I think. And um, I went to training and they said, right, um, okay, we've watched a bowl a bit. Try this, try this, try this, try this. Yeah. Um, and I added an extra yards to a, a pace to my bowling. And, you know, ran through the crease and um, was bowling more accurately, faster. Yeah. I didn't get picked in reps. They just said, no, but you can continue to come to training or whatever else. And I remember being at, at your minor training before the game, a couple of weeks beforehand going, man, this is, you know, this is awesome. I'm getting the ball to do some, you know, awesome shit. And in the first game um, up against Tukley, I took a wicket in my second over with yeah. just a, a cracker of a ball. But after my first spell, the heat got to me and I was knackered yeah. and, I, and I wasn't fit enough to continue to bowl like that. So I defaulted back to the way I bowled beforehand. Right. And I never went back because I knew I wasn't fit enough. So I stopped bowling like I was taught in reps because I knew that I thought I'll falter again. So I'm just right, not going right. to do that. Mm. Um, so it would be nice to tap myself on the shoulder and just go, just I can keep trying that or find a fitness program to, you know. Yeah, go for uh, it. To, to do this and to do that. But during juniors, I just played. Happy yeah. to be there. Um, you know, you're batting nine and you're not getting a ball. I don't care. Happy to be there. Yeah. Just happy yeah. to be there. So I wouldn't tell my younger self, um, you know, anything too much because I just enjoyed I just enjoyed being there. Probably just as I was older, it's like, okay, you need to not take this too seriously. Yeah. I think I, I think it's funny that like you talk about having imposter syndrome because I think my biggest failing was the opposite. 
having like delusions of grandeur was <laughs> I I'm I know that like cricket gives you too much time to think, you know, like yes, between deliveries. Yeah. And mm. I remember batting and the amount of times where I would be not focused because I'd be thinking about I'm batting pretty well. What if I get a hundred? That's gonna be pretty <laughs> that's gonna be pretty good, like talking at the end of the day when I've scored a hundred. How good would that be? Oh, I'm out. Like I'm that, out. yes, yeah. That yeah. happened like all the time. I'd just be when I batted, when I bowled, it was different, but when I batted, that's yeah. what it was always like. Oh yeah, this is what if I get like it was just no, my brain would just drift off and you know, I, I also blame airplane because. I've got to concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. They're always coming in my head. And how can um, I be serious when I've got Leslie Nielsen in my head? That's right. But it's the same as um, like when I played in the when I lived in De- in Deniliquin and I played, I was the same. Like I remember the week before the semi-final, I just batted like poo and I bowled like poop and I was just disgusted. And I thought I'm gonna get dropped and I suck and all that stuff. So then I just went to training and I just bowled like as fast as I could. I just said, all right, whatever. I'll just run in and just wang it. And then that seemed to work. And so I did that in the semifinal and, you know, we got them all out for 46 and lost. So uh, <laughs> not a great day anyway, but. Um, but it, it's, it's whether you learn from that or not, you know, because there's probably elements of that that are still part of you now to, the, <laughs> to you know, yeah, to absolutely. this day. Um, but they're potentially those type of things you can learn is that, discipline to go okay you're too far ahead of yourself yeah no that never i don't know if i'd the only time was like when i was playing in england and i i you know started scoring lots of runs and it was the same thing i remember saying oh, i'll just get 50 today and then i'll get out and just catching myself saying that and going what are you talking about <laughs> you know how bad it is when you are in a form slump like we talk about how how good it is but when it's bad when cricket especially Yes. And you are a batsman and you can't score any runs and you have no form. Like, why would you ever think, oh, this is, you know, this is pretty great. I'll just get a few runs and then I'll give someone else a go. Like, give no, someone else a no, you just it's be too, greedy. Be greedy. Yeah, you gotta yeah. be greedy. It's 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 you've been at the other end. I remember very clearly like being horribly out of form and dad saying, Maybe you could wear your glasses when you're batting when you're batting. And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> it's that bad. That thinks I can't see the ball. And I'm like, I can see the ball. Uh, just keep getting out just keep getting out yeah Yeah, it's horrible um i wanted to ask just a a question can you remember like uh when we were younger or something like anything dad did or like mum was never she was always the person that would turn up to get us out right that was her her mode was like granny turns up one of us is batting oh now they're out now they're out yes yeah i think that was more you i don't i don't really yeah me was hitting a four when she was getting the sandwich out of the bag right, of the right yeah taking a catch and... oh yeah yeah just did you see that and oh no matthew was yeah, running kids off, were running but... around yeah all that stuff yeah. whatever yeah. that's <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff but do you remember like dad talking to you about cricket because he was he was never a cricketer he played when he was much <clears> older yeah i don't years. remember too much i just remember his way of um you know something he was interested was just turning up and getting up at 6 30 or 7 o'clock or whatever and going and then he coached you when you were younger because there was no there was nobody else that was his way of yeah you know and then becoming president and being on the on the committee that was his way of supporting us because he didn't he didn't understand the game he knew more about rugby league yeah um but 
he couldn't get through to me, but he could get through to you yeah. a little more with things. So I don't know. Do you remember the tackling practice in the backyard? Nope. Okay. So <laughs> he he was frustrated with it was frustrated with me because I wasn't tackling properly and I was gun shy. So um, <clears throat> one day he said, "Right, you and Matt, we're going to go out in the backyard and we're going to practice tackling." So he stood me to one side and he stood you further up the backyard and he said, right, Matt, you run through. Mike, you're going to come across and tackle him like a winger or a fullback. So I ran across to tackle you and sort of sort of got in there and grabbed you and then right. tried to, you know, pull and pulled you to the ground, but just, you know, like a wet fish. Like, yeah. you know, I had two wet fish for hands and I, you know, just grabbed him that how, way. How yeah. old do you reckon you were? Like, because I have no memory of this. So I'm oh, four years um, younger than you. How so. old were you when you started playing? Uh, I guess seven or eight. So it was like that so, first season. So, so you it were could like have been 12. that. So I could have been, yeah, 11 or 12. Right. So, yeah. so I did So I did that. And so then it was your turn. And he said, right, Mike, you run down there. And Matthew, you run across and tackle him. And so I ran, I ran past going, ha, 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 and you yeah. smashed me. Oh. You, you ran straight into me, shoulder, everything you meant to do in a tackle, and you Speechless. smashed me and you tackled, you tackled me to the ground like it was a perfect tackle. Yeah. And, you know, Dad said, that's how you tackle. But I, I didn't get it, but you did. You went, right, I've got to use my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. right. Wet fish. So he just he, – he, I couldn't understand the tackling side of things. I think that that frustrated him in that respect. But then there were other things. We'd get out in the backyard and he'd try to, you know, you play the ball and you might practice passing or whatever else. He used yeah. to try and hit catches with cricket in the backyard because I was pretty hopeless. But um, <laughs> I just remember more football he knew more about. Yeah. Palming and fending and, you know, and those correct tackling techniques. But so I, I do it. wonder that. I wonder that as a as a sporting parent, whether he was uh, like with cricket, he was much more. I, I, I think what I lo- always learn or remember him talking to about was just like the the um, way it should be played, like playing it in the right spirit. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Never, he, he never did. sledging. He was always. I don't know where that came from for him, but he was always like, no, nah, sledging's. Yeah. And especially and when ne- you're batting, Jesus. And never, never walk. Talk, never walk. Yeah, never walk and never sledge. Yeah, I do. Now that you mention that, I remember I remember him saying to me, you yeah. wait for the umpire's decision. That's what he's there for. He said, yeah. because if you walk and then suddenly one day you don't walk, yeah. then that's worse. That's that's worse um, yeah. than if you just stand there. If you stand there and wait for the umpire's decision, then that's yeah. it. But if you go, I'm a walker, I'm walking, I'm walking, and then yeah. one day you don't. Yeah, and um, you're going to be given out when you're not out, so you might. Yeah, well yeah, that's it. Yeah. But I, I, I remember playing in a grand final and getting when I, I must have been under 12s or something like that, but getting out caught behind when I didn't hit it, and just being yeah. so filthy. It's grand final, that sucks. And like two days later, like we watched the cricket World Cup, England played Pakistan, and Graham Gooch got out the same way. He didn't hit it. He got out caught behind, and Dad said, "See." You think his game's a bit more important than your game? I remember that. I was like, yeah, it's a little happened to him, and he's playing in the World Cup final. And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, but yeah, that makes so sense. So there he- was there was those things that he that he he did teach. Well, I played a touch football grand final against a group of young kids when I was seventeen or whatever else, and 
we won the game, but there was a particular moment where it was really close and the, the crowd was irritating me because they're all kids, all their parents were there. Yeah. And I took an intercept and ran the length of the field and I turned and fist pumped to the, yes. to the families as yes. I went past, as in ha, 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 yeah. and, and scored and threw the ball back and subbed and he tore shreds off me at the end of the game. Um, <laughs> and I've, that's another one of those things. that. Yeah. He, Got to respect the game, right? You got to respect, respect the game and the yeah. people and the and the parents. And so that was a good reinforcement. And yeah. I sort of went, yeah, I'll, that's a fair call. I I was an ass. He um, and I know I've told this on the podcast, but long ago when I was talking to Wigo, um, I remember playing, and it, I think it was a semi final, and taking a wicket and saying like he was umpiring, and I took a wicket and I ran down the pitch like what a ball like. <laughs> like I was Richie Banner. And then I took a catch and I was like, what a catch. And uh, when we left, I was in the car with the ad with Dave yeah. uh, on the way home. And he was like, oh, so you call out what a ball and you call out what a catch. So everyone else was just thinking, what a dickhead. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. I won't do that. How about I don't do that again? You know, it's like, yeah, it's that kind of like you got to, you, you can't play the game like a tool. And then you see it, right? You, you realize that, but you just see throughout your life at all levels of sport, you're like, yes. someone needed to tell you, don't be a dickhead because yeah. you are clearly a dickhead and you play it. In the, just yeah. Weird. It's, uh, it's weird when you see it, especially as adults. I um, One of the things I do say to Kyron is you never, ever, ever in soccer touch the referee. I don't yeah. care what you see on television. You never touch the referee. There's too much of that. But that's one of those things that grinds my gears, Peter Griffin. <laughs> um, but there's certain things like that where I'll just go, look, I don't care about the repercussions here. Yeah. Don't touch the referee. You're the captain or whatever. Don't touch the referee. Don't ever touch the referee. Yeah. I yeah, will throw weird. you out of the house. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. But it's the same with like, you know, where I played soccer. I would never argue with an opposition player. I never fight with the opposite i like abusing my own teammates that's fun <laughs> and i remember very clearly like playing and the playing at the playing at the back like i did in the center back he said like pull your head in or something like that and so we were like swearing at each other and the goalkeeper was like guys guys like calm down and we both stopped and looked at him and we're like we're, what <laughs> like we're just we're just talking here like it's <laughs> like it's it's that weird thing that if you played enough sport when you see it like on a professional level and they're like these two oh look at them they're shouting at each other and you're like yeah it's fine if it's a good team that's what you do that's what you do yeah. you're like no yeah. pull your head in you should have been there oh no oh, you should have oh yeah we'll work it out yeah. but yeah it's it's funny how yeah when you watch the sport at all levels seems to have that similarity anyway i've yeah. kept, i've kept you too yes. long it's it's uh we've been going a while my scotch is nearly empty i've spilt scotch on the carpet it's uh it's been that kind of evening, but thank you very much, Juice. There, I, there were several other things I didn't get to, but there's always time. I hope there was enough insight, insight there as to oh, the yeah. inner workings of my head and, and sport in general. So, yeah, we'll finish by saying sport's pretty good, and I like it. That's, how, <laughs> that's some depth, and that's it. Sport, shut sport. up, <laughs> shut up, and listen.